How are we doing? Good. Hey, we welcomed visitors, and one visitor we didn't welcome because we're about to welcome him now was Chris Ayres, Mr. Chris Ayres, who is the uh, national manager, along with his wife, of um, Pioneers New Zealand, which is a missions group which... Uh, wants to raise up missionaries to go to all parts of the world, and especially where people haven't heard the name of Jesus. So they organize a whole bunch of things, uh, different types of mission trips that Chris will tell you about and that. Uh, But Chris and his wife uh, served in Eastern Europe for about eight years uh, as missionaries themselves. They've been pastors in Australia. And I met Chris for the first time about two years ago and instantly realized that this is a very astute, intelligent uh, person who asks very interesting questions that get to the heart of the matter quickly. So I was very... It probably doesn't help you a whole lot, uh, but I just I was very impressed with Chris. I think he's a real, a, a really switched on person, and uh, and I'm really excited to hear him speak because I know he's going to be absolutely amazing. So how about we put our hands together and invite him up? You go hard, my friend. Thanks, Dean. Well, it's great to be here. Um, I want to spend a couple of minutes just, yeah, really quickly sharing with you. We'll bring up um, the PowerPoint uh, a bit about myself. Um, I am only one of an awesome bunch of people. Uh, this is my family, and uh, there's my wife, Judy, a uh, beautiful, smiling lady, the best-looking one of the bunch um, in the middle. And then I've got four children. Trinity's 19 this year. Uh, she's on the far end. Zara is 17. Toby up the back just hit six foot the other day, we checked, and he's 15, and Boaz at the front is 13. So this is the year of the teenagers for us, um, and we've always flagged that this is going to be a special year where we do special fun things, and, and we are a close family because, as you heard, we've moved around the globe together, done lots of international transitions, and uh, they're really cool. I miss them terribly when I'm away, but they fully understand what I'm doing and uh, are very supportive. If we keep going, uh, you also heard that I represent Pioneers New Zealand. I'm the national director for uh, Pioneers, but um, Pioneers has had a relationship with this church in the past. Some folks from here have been out with Pioneers, and so you know a bit about us. But just to give you an update of what we practically look like and who we are, we go to the next slide. We are indeed a global family. So I'm here to talk to one awesome family in God's kingdom about another awesome family in God's kingdom. Um, now, Pioneers is international, uh, thoroughly international, and it's something that we um, are so pleased and um, thankful to God for. And I'll show you in a minute very practically what that looks like. But we're also interdenominational. So we are very happy to uh, partner along with you folk, and I'm happy to go to the Anglican Church down the road or the Presbyterian Church, or I could list them all. But uh, pretty much as long as they adhere to Jesus Christ, Uh, being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the grave and the beauty that we have of the gift of new life, eternal life that's already started now in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and adhere to the Bible as the supreme authority that we adhere to as believers, um, we're happy to work with them and we want to empower them to share that around the globe. So, uh, yep, we'll go to the next one. Praise God. I mean, statistics are always just statistics. 
They just tell a story. And really what I want to do is show you a story of God's goodness. So please don't read this as anything other than, hey, God's doing cool stuff. So we have over 3,200 members around the world. We praise him for that. I personally would love it to be 30,000 members around the world. But anyway, we'll take that for now. Uh, We also have 18 bases and offices. So Pioneers New Zealand is one of those. And we're not a particularly large one of those compared to some of the others. So they're in US, Canada, uh, New Zealand, of course, Australia. We've got one in the UK, and we have an Asian base in Singapore, and we have our African base in Ghana. And then we also have other offices. So if we go to the next slide, I'll show you... Oh, yeah, click through. We'll go to the map. So on the map, you can see the bases. They'll come up as... Click... Stars. And then the officers will come up as, click, red dots. Um, And they're in some cool places like Hong Kong and Peru and Brazil and Mexico, Dominican Republic, Philippines, Kenya, Netherlands. And Hong Kong, for instance, we've got 45 missionaries out from our Hong Kong office. Offices are fledgling bases, so to speak. And you know, most of the missionaries sent from Hong Kong are from... Mongolia. Yeah. The Mongolian church has only even been in existence for 25 years. And they've already got all of these missionaries out. Isn't that exciting? So we'll keep going. We, uh, we have our teams. So there's the teams, 350 teams. It's a value of ours. We will never send anyone on their own. We think there is value in working together, strength in working together. There's the accountability, the encouragement. And also, do those teams have to be our teams? No, there's actually hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more teams with other mission agencies that are doing great work and we'll easily send one of our people to work in one of their teams. That's not a problem. We're in over 100 countries. Isn't that fantastic? Over 100 countries. Now, you heard that another one of our core values is unreached people groups. So as you can imagine, there is a fair number of those countries that are very interesting places. Places where it's not easy to necessarily share the gospel for one reason or another. And I'll let your imagination do all the walking through that. But it means that we take security very seriously. We take our training very seriously. And we marvel to see God's creativity in the ways in which the gospel can be shared in the corners of the globe. And then 227 languages. That's kind of a... Wow, initially, but of course there's five to 6,000 languages in the world at last count, and I'd love to see that number grow too. So we praise God and people groups served. We praise God for what he's done. In, in the year 2000, around that time when there was a few mergers going on, Pioneers was about 450, 480 missionaries. So in the last 20 years, it's really grown, and, and we're so grateful for that. Um, In New Zealand, just to give a little bit of context, our our pioneers itself started in the States in the 70s. However, um, our history in New Zealand goes back to the 1890s because we were Australia Pacific Christian Mission and we were South Sea Evangelical Mission and we were Sudan United Mission and we were Unevangelized Fields Mission and we were Action Partners and we were Arab World Ministries. And over the years, God has funneled the tributaries down to be who we are today. And you never know. We hold on to the concept of pioneers loosely. Maybe we'll flow into something else in God's economy so the gospel can continue to go out. So that is 
pioneers. I was just sharing with uh, Dean and Gina this morning. Jump on the website because the uh, website is brand new. It's about a week old. And so if you want to know more about us and what we do, there's lots of cool stories and also it shows the breadth of the opportunities that are available to serve around the world on the website. How am I doing? Not bad. Because, why am I looking at the clock? Well, it's because I do care about this. I really do. But I care about this a lot more. And this will only ever flow out of this. So, guys, I want to spend the bulk of the time that we have left in the Scriptures. And we're going to read today and ponder what God wants to say to us from a passage in Acts chapter 8. You think, aha, a mission guy preaching from Acts. There's a surprise. Well, what are you going to do, right? Um, We're going to read the passage together. And then we're going to pray and really commit this to God. And then we're going to see what he'd like to say. So, Acts chapter 8. And we are going to probably a fairly well-known passage for many of you. In my Bible, in verse 26, it's entitled, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, it will be up. Yeah, there it is. So starting in verse 26, it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he, the eunuch, said, How can I unless someone guides me? Now, if you've ever read Isaiah, you understand why he said that. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for moments like this. They're really special where we as your people are together. Lord, that in itself is special. And Lord, we also have the opportunity to be still and to worship you in song and in heart. 
and we get to open your word together. Lord, that's amazing to be able to do that in this country. And we get to read it out loud and we get to ponder it together. And, and Lord, our heart this morning is we are here as brothers and sisters in the one family through Christ. Lord, we want to know you more. Lord, it's not that we want information. It's we want you. So, Lord, would you speak to us? We're coming from a lot of different places. Still our hearts, open our minds, the ears that we have to listen. And, Lord, plant your seeds deep. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Have any of you ever had... An amazing invitation given to you of some sort. I've had a few in my time, some really pretty cool ones actually. Um, I don't want to gloat, but I'm going to. Um, uh, in 2006, I was invited to, um, to drive a NASCAR. Yeah, how cool is that? On, you know, the banked oval tracks. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, I was invited once to go to the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with all the big floats going down the street. But one of the really interesting ones that my wife and I received was back in Australia in the mid-90s. At the time, uh, just through a set of circumstances, I met and became quite good friends with a, a tennis player. He was on the professional tennis circuit, uh, played doubles and actually went to the uh, final of the Australian Open uh, in the doubles. So he was pretty good. And he met somebody who we also knew, and they got engaged, and we got this invitation to their wedding. And, of course, this was a wedding where kind of the who's who of Australian tennis was there. Uh, Leighton Hewitt and John Newcomb from the past and Pat Cash and all these guys. And we were sitting at our table feeling distinctly out of place. But it was a really special event. And you, I'm sure all of you, if you just think for a moment, can think of special invitations you've received over time. And it might be because of where it's going to take place. It might be because of what you're going to be doing as part of that invitation. Or it might be because of who you're doing it with. Um, for some of you, it may be a family wedding that's really the highlight of being able to go and have your family gather to celebrate such a wonderful occasion. Amazing invitations. Well, you probably know where I'm going with this. God has given each and every one of us an amazing invitation. It's got a couple of parts. The first one is an amazing invitation into a relationship with him through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross who paid the price for sin through shed blood that our sins would be forgiven, that we would be cleansed and be able to then step into something incredibly dynamic with the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Spirit. What an invitation. But there's more to it. God has also issued as a part of that invitation an invitation for us to step into His global mission story. He's been cranking it for some time now. And here we are in 2021, and the invitation is still getting extended for us to be a part of what he's doing. Now, we are very familiar with the passages that uh, talk about that invitation, Matthew 28, where he talked about going into all the world and uh, making disciples. Uh, Acts 1 also has it before Jesus ascended into heaven of going to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uh, 
the ends of the earth. And it's really interesting because often we talk about that as the great commission, right? In Matthew 28. And we read it like a command. But I want to show you that, yeah, okay, it is a command. But actually what God's doing is issuing an amazing invitation. And it's not a once-off invitation. This isn't a one-hit wonder. This is an invitation that gets extended to believers every day. Every single day. It's a dynamic invitation. And he wants the interplay of that invitation, of him giving it, and us somehow responding to that to become part of our daily existence. However, for many, many reasons... And it's okay, we're all in the same boat here. For many reasons, often we are pausing when we come to actually engaging with that, a specific element of that invitation, a specific part of God's mission activity. We, we, we sort of pause. And the, reason, uh, the question is why? Well, sometimes it's um, a fear of missing out on other things. Sometimes it's because we don't actually even hear the invitation clearly. But a very common reason why we don't respond is because we feel that we actually don't have really what it takes. Sometimes the thing that, things that God is calling us to be a part of seem a little bit overwhelming and we seem a little outgunned in terms of our abilities. I've had many people over the years come and say to me, in fact, I could not count the number of times. I wish I'd had a dollar for everyone. My life would be looking a little different, I can tell you. Um, where people say, I could never do what you do. And my answer is, sure you could, because it's God that does it. But this concept of, I, I couldn't do that. I can't do that. Uh, that one's not for me. That's not really what I'm good at. There are others that are way better suited to doing that sort of thing. I don't have the right skills. People that would say, well, you've got to be a preacher and an evangelist, don't you? And I'm not really that. I'd say all of us at some stage have felt a lack of ability. But here's the thing. Stepping into God's story has nothing to do with ability. And today's passage shows three other elements that really do lie at the heart of it. It doesn't hinge on ability, but the first thing it does hinge on is availability. And that really is simply a case of hearing what God is saying to us and then simply responding. You say, well, that's a pretty basic point. Yes, it is. But I want you to look with me at Philip's situation. It says... In verse 26, some instructions were given by the Spirit, an angel of the Lord. Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now look at Philip's response in 27. And he rose and he went. Huh. Rise and go. He rose and he went. There's a direct correlation. It's really simple, actually. So... We see this pattern that seems so simple. But here's the thing. What seems so simple at first glance, actually there's dynamics going on here that aren't so simple. And some of the things that sometimes make a simple response to God so difficult is timing. 
If you look at where this passage sits in Acts, it comes straight after, firstly, Stephen was stoned and he was killed as the first martyr. Saul ravaged the church and it talks about the church being scattered. Now, the apostles were a bit more strategic. They didn't scatter, but they did go out from Jerusalem and Philip went down to Samaria and he preached the gospel. And let me tell you, it had impact, serious impact. It was a vibrant ministry that started up down there. And we can read, uh, you can read it later. Verses 8, uh, see chapter 8 in verses 6, 8, 12, 13, 17, 25. It talks about the masses of people coming and being baptized, people responding. This whole positive wave that's coming from all the ministry that Philip's doing. And here's the thing. It's right in the middle of that that God says, okay, I've got something else for you to do. In my experience, I've found this to happen often. That God does not call us to his work when there's nothing else going on. We assume he does. It's like, well, there's nothing else really happening, so what do I consider? What are my options? Oh, mission. Maybe that's something. God doesn't work that way. In fact, I would say most of the time, it's right when things are really happening. And suddenly God comes straight into the center of that and he says, actually, I've got something else for you to do. That was certainly the case with us. We were in the middle of a vibrant ministry in Eastern Europe. And I was praising God in the car one day, driving into town for the things he was doing. It was miraculous. we talk about it another time. But right then, God said, yeah, what I'm doing is great, but don't expect that you're going to keep being a part of it. I've got something else for you to do. And he pulled us out. It's not a case of us needing to understand that the timing is right. God's timing is perfect. And you know, a pastor once gave me advice. He said, if you're going to wait for everything to seem right before you actually obey God's voice, you're going to miss out. You will never be ready. It will never line up. You've just got to do it. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, doesn't it say, um, faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass? I think that's a great verse. God's timing is perfect. It's perfect. Even when it's nonsensical to us. And this was a divine appointment that Philip was invited to. If the timing, if he'd done a different set of timing, it wouldn't have happened. The second thing that makes it really challenging is location of where God calls us to go. What do we do when that doesn't make any sense? It says in verse 26 that Philip was asked to go to this road and that it was a desert place. What's the hassle? Well, there's nobody in the desert, <laughs> right? Um, if you read Acts, Acts is actually an account of the beginnings of the church and you know what it focuses on? Urban ministry clusters where the people are and right in the center of that big narrative god calls philip in the middle of a vibrant ministry in those urban centers to go to a desert place there's lots of places in my experience where god might ask us to go which may not seem to make much sense in terms of being too populous or too glamorous or that where there seems to be much hope of having vibrance in what we do. The call for Philip seemed to be illogical, but God knew what he was doing, didn't he? 
He knew who was going to be there at that time. And he knew more than that, that that guy was going to be ready for the gospel. So location can be challenging. And just as a by the way, I will say that my experience of ministering to people in places of transit is actually pretty phenomenal. So don't rule it out. Availability. God knows what he's doing. Even when it doesn't make sense to us, he can be trusted. Laying it out and simple obedience. If he says go, we go. Secondly, humility. We see here several elements that really promote us bringing a sense of humility to God asking us to step into what he's doing. The first thing we see is clearly God's mission story doesn't start with us. What God is going to do in a place doesn't start when we arrive. And so often, workers that are heading out, people that are full of fervor for their faith and passion for Jesus and a love of the gospel, and they know, they've personally experienced what it can do in a life, they just want to get out there and they think, now I'm here, we can, let's roll. We can go. But look at this story. How much work had God done prior to Philip showing up and connecting with this guy? Here was a man from northern Africa. And God had gotten a hold of him and somehow propelled him, whether it was under the, the direction of the queen or whether by his own volition, propelled him to Jerusalem to find out more. And then he'd somehow gotten into his hands a copy of the prophet Isaiah. Now, these weren't everywhere, I assure you. A scroll or a papyrus or something like that, that actually had Isaiah written out. What? And then he not only had it, he was reading it. And he was not only reading it, he was questioning and wanted to know more. God had been doing this deep investment in this guy's life so that at the moment Philip showed up, there was the intersection, the divine intersection of God at work. God does not need us to cultivate his work. He's very, very good at doing that himself. He does not need us to get the ball rolling and start things. We are stepping into his work. And let me tell you, it is simply a privilege to join what he's already doing. And he, what he's doing is way better than what I could do anyway. You know, in the world at the moment, there are people, our, our workers are having this take place regularly. Particularly in the Muslim, Muslim world, recently I heard of uh, one of our workers in a tent and in the morning, uh, somebody came and was sort of uh, knocking on the... You don't knock on canvas. I don't know how they did it. But anyway, they were inquiring at the tent, is such and such here? And they said, yes. And they said, oh, good. And he said, what can I do for you? He said, well, I was told to come and see you. He said, who told you to come and see me? And they said, Jesus, last night in, in the dream. He gave me your name and he told me to come and ask you and you would explain to me more about who he is and what he wants to do in my life. Um, the same thing happened to me in Poland. One day before a church service in our little church plant, a young man walked in clutching a, a, a family Bible, a big thick one, leather bound, uh, a Catholic Bible. And he'd gotten it off the shelf at home under the compulsion of the Holy Spirit and read it 
And this was what he said to me. He said, um, I've just met Jesus, but I don't fully understand what it all means. Would you help me? And that guy is now the pastor of that church. So, and we saw that again and again and again. God is already at work. We don't have to figure that part out. We are joining him. The second reason why we have to have a, cultivate a, a, an attitude of humility is we can't predict or assume who it is that God's calling to himself. In this passage, we have somebody who was an Ethiopian, so there's an issue of race. He was a eunuch, so there was an issue of sexuality. And he was a court official, so there's an issue of social position. And I'm sorry, we are all guilty of this, but we carry biases within us and prejudices within us of who we think God would be likely to call out there. We would go to a crowd and say, well, you know. And maybe that's based on maybe who we're more comfortable talking to. But it's there. And in this situation, now think about Philip with his Jewish upbringing. He'd just gone to the Samaritans. I'm telling you, that would have been a huge deal. But now, look who he's, under God's leading, asked to interact with and even hop into the chariot with. We don't know where God is at work. But I'll tell you something. God loves everyone. I love the Gospel of Luke because it shows that heart of Jesus, the lowly, the outcasts, the sick, the widows, the poor. You see God's heart bleeding for these ones. This is who he often wants to reach. And God wants us to be the vehicles through which he can show his love to them. And he wants to challenge us. He wants them to feel accepted and loved. The third reason why we need to have humility is we don't know everything about our part in his story. What role are we going to play? Well, Philip became a travel companion for a little bit. Are we going to be called upon to be a friend or a counsellor or a teacher or a boss or an employee or a contractor or a travel companion like Philip or any other role? I don't know. And so often people go overseas and they're officially an engineer or a doctor or a nurse or a teacher. But actually the role that God's got for them is something distinctly different of who they're going to be in relationship to somebody else. What role? We don't know. How long is it going to last? I don't know. For Philip, it wasn't very long at all. He was there, they had a chat, a baptism, gone. Whether it's five minutes or 30 years, you don't know. You can't presume. And so often, people who go out short-term with us, they'll stay long-term. And vice versa. Sometimes God finishes a season of ministry up much quicker than people predicted. How long? Don't know. What's going to be the impact or the significance? Well, for Philip, he had no way of knowing what this was going to mean. Now, there's been hypotheses about this Ethiopian eunuch potentially being the one that took the gospel to Africa and the church grew from there. We don't know that. The scripture doesn't say that. We don't know. Maybe. But Philip wouldn't have known about it anyway. He never saw that guy again. Will our work have an effect? Sometimes, I can tell you in mission, it feels like it doesn't. And that can be local mission 
or overseas mission. This isn't getting anywhere. You don't know that. What will the fruit of my ministry actually look like? Well, let me tell you, if you're doing ministry in a different culture or in a different place amongst a different type of people, it's going to look different from what you're used to. So, humility, yes, there is so much we don't know about what God's doing. So we hold everything loosely. We walk forward with God, trusting in His sovereignty, provision, power to get that global story rolling forward. Lastly, flexibility. We need to set aside a lot of our usuals, our normals. We usually do it this way. We usually do it that way. If you're going to do, uh, share the gospel, there's a formula for that. You know, make sure you include the bit about these sorts of things. What I love in this story is it says in verse 30, Philip ran. The, Philip said, uh, the Spirit said to Philip, go to the chariot. And Philip ran up to that chariot. This immediately makes me think of the story of the prodigal son. Running for people was not a cultural norm. And I love the fact that Philip didn't just listen to the Spirit and obey in principle. He obeyed passionately. And he went to that chariot as fast as he could. We have to set aside our usuals. Secondly, we need to be willing to change our plans. Because Philip probably wasn't planning on heading down the road in the direction of Ethiopia. And yet when he got invited to step up, up into that chariot, guess what? The chariot kept going that direction. Okay, that's what we'll do. And that's where the gospel was shared. Thirdly, we can't limit the ways in which the gospel is able to be preached. Philip shared in a chariot, on a desert road, on the way to Ethiopia. That's totally random. Where God wants you to share is often random places and staying open to that. And finally, being willing to work with whatever is available. There's some water. Why can't I be baptised here? It's not in the, in the official pool. It's not on the right Sunday of the month. There's some water. Why can't I be baptised here? So, ability is not necessary. But things that are extremely helpful to us as believers when God calls us to step into His story is availability, humility, and flexibility. But why? Why would we do that? We can do it, but why would we do it? Well, in closing, three things. Here we go. The first is it responds. It allows you as God's child to respond to God's mission call. And it does obey his command. It's obedience. The second, but let me say this. If it was just about obedience, a, a, a response to a mission call is going to become very burdensome very quickly. It's going to lack joy because it's something that you have to do because it's a should. I can tell you, I grew up in a conservative evangelical church and I'm very, very tired in my life of the word should. I do not like that word. And my wife actually pulls me up every time it comes out of my mouth. I probably should do this. She goes, should you? Really? Should is not a part of it. God doesn't want should. He wants passion. He wants passionate obedience. It's like, when can I? This is his heart. The second reason, though, is better than just obeying a command. It's because you will get to see lives transformed. 
This is the coolest things. Individuals, marriages, families, communities, and even nations. It's amazing to see what God can do in a life. Quick story. The band's there, but I'm going to tell it anyway. There was a girl that we were ministering to in our church plant, and we went on a home service. Before we went away, she was like this. No eye contact. We came back nine months later, and God had got a hold of her. And the first thing she did is she ran up to our kids and was hugging them with a huge smile. And the story, of course, is what has happened here? Transformation. God had gotten a hold of a life. But look, last thing. As good as it is to obey God's command, as good as it is to see others transformed, the best part, and I say this to every one of my workers, the best part about mission you do not want to miss, and that is... Knowing Jesus. Oh, how you know him. Your mind will be blown. Because God is bigger. He is more present. He is more engaged. He is more powerful. He is more gracious. He is more forgiving. He is more loving. He is more, 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 more than you could ever imagine. We have the privilege of seeing God at work in and through us in ways that you could never have imagined. You know, when I was a kid, I, my parents used to drag me along to conventions, uh, Keswick conventions, Easter, Christmas, a lot of them. We had great speakers, but there was also a lot of missionary speakers. And by the age of 10, I was pretty cheesed off. Let me tell you why. Because I grew up in a Christian home, I knew the Bible. I got 100% in the Bible Noathon when I was in Sunday school. Did you know that? 100%. Uh, statewide. But I would sit and listen to the way they talked about Jesus and how they would relate to him. They seemed to really talk to him and he seemed to talk to them and he would tell them to go places and they would see miracles take place. And, and I used to sit there thinking, oh, that's not my experience of my Christian faith. And I was annoyed. I felt like I was on the other side of a fence. And one day, at 10 years of age, I sat in that auditorium and I said, Lord, enough. I'm sick of this. I ask you that you would do whatever it takes so that I get to stand up the front and tell the stories. I do not want to sit in the auditorium for the rest of my life. And he has answered that prayer. He remembered it. I only remembered myself at 25 that I prayed it. And when he said, okay. Time to go. I want that. And I would imagine many of you are sitting out there saying, yeah, I want that too. And that's not my reality. Well, folks, it all starts with availability. Have you actually come before him with the whole kit and caboodle, the whole deal? And said, you know what? You can have it all. You can have it all. I honestly don't mind where, I do not mind when, I do not mind how, I do not mind what you are going to do through this life, but it is yours and you can do whatever. Have you done that? If not, let me recommend it. Is it scary? Of course it's scary. Of course. But if we ask for his help, the faith to overcome the fear, he's very good to that, let me tell you. He gives measures of faith as needed. 
the courage to let your life go into his hands, you will not regret it. And I don't know, I do not know where he wants every single one of you to step into the story. I don't know if it's across the globe or if it's next door. I I don't know. And you know what? I do not care. I really don't care. I simply do not want you to miss out on the best invitation you will ever receive. Folks, together, may God by his grace help us step into his story with availability, humility, flexibility, so that we can be blown away, so that others can be blown away, and so that his church will resound. My friends, this is the best part. Everyone gets changed when you step into the story. Others do as you share with them. You do as you get to know Jesus. And God's church does as together they get a grip on, whoa, what is God asking us to be outside that door? Everyone gets changed. And it's the best thing ever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the challenge and the reminder and the privilege that it is that you would extend the hand and ask us to enter in, to enter into what you're doing in this world. And we praise you for that, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much that in the very furthest corners that conversations are being had, that eyes are meeting across rooms, that, Lord, people are coming with hands of love and feet And they are helping people in practical ways to show the love of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that your story is unfolding in this world today. And that it is one story that all of us get to be a part of. But Lord, we need your help. Father God, may we come. May we come and genuinely lay our lives out. Lord, may we be able to have in faith and courage given by you to exercise it and say, Lord, you can take the whole deal. And whatever is your call. I'm in. Father God, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. But more importantly, thankful, thank you for your faithfulness to your own name and your own glory. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, your kingdom come. Amen. Amen. Amen.